you didn't read ahead of time or like you didn't I, look into this topic much. No, I, uh, his dad put it lightly earlier. I don't know shit about what we're going to talk about. So that's good. That's how we want every episode to start. Yeah. And then by the end of it, we want to know I'm gonna, some shit. I'm going to be the happy idiot yeah. in this episode, but, uh, you two have done some, some more research and, um, have a more scientific background on, uh, cultured meat i guess so uh, lab grown meat is what we're going to be talking about um but yeah i'll be here to pop in probably some dumb questions that uh probably dumb to you guys but hopefully can help answer some everyone has a role to play jack (laughs) so yeah just get with the program (laughs) it's just yours is to be to be dumb from the beginning i can handle that (laughs) so have you ever heard of this uh who's actually pretty famous. Her name's Henrietta Lacks. Have you ever heard of Henrietta Lacks? I hadn't until... Until now. Until now. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, and I hadn't either until recently when I was doing some reading. I came across her story. She was a black woman in, I think, in the South, living in the South. In 1951, she was dying of cervical cancer. And um, I'll, I'll fast forward, but she... She is the um, she's the mother of what they call the mortal cell lines, and um, so it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and there's more to the story too. So she was dying uh, of uh, cervical cancer. She was at Johns Hopkins, um, you know, hospital, which is very famous. And um, researchers for many years had been trying to grow cells, you know, human cells. Of course, in animal cells for using in research and to develop um, vaccines is, was a you know was a huge driver, like we talked in the last podcast. But anyway, the need to to uh, grow cells so that you could do research in a lab setting um, and see how particularly how viruses would infect cells and how you could build vaccines. So anyway, there's a huge demand to grow cells, and they call them cell lines from mice or monkeys, rhesus monkeys or rats or you know whatever whatever they could get their hands on. But um, but they're but they being screwed, you know, because you could never get cell lines to, conti- to, to continue to live. Um, and was later found out to be something called Hayflick, Hayflick's Limit, by uh, Leonard Hayflick from uh, a University in California. But mm. that, that, um, I jumped forward for that. But anyway, Hayflick, it's called Hayflick's Limit, and it's relevant to today's chat about cell-cultured meat is the revelation that normal cells will only live for 50 um, generations or 50 um, replications, and then they die. Mm. So kind of fascinating. You know, you can get cells to divide in two. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. cell division, right? Mm -hmm. Is that mitosis or meiosis? I never – I didn't pay attention in that class, but (laughs) cell division, that's how they replicate. You know, and you can grow them in an incubator cells, but that that frustrated all these researchers because you just get started with the bloody things and then they all die. So, which is part of if you expand out like our bodies, we're we're made of trillions of cells, you know, that are constantly dying and being replenished. But uh, ultimately, our cells have a clock on them. And when the time runs out, this then and this is evidenced in our aging. You know, if things go real well, we can get to live to be, you know, 80 years of age, um, thereabouts, plus or minus. But um, but there is a finite life to our bodies, mm-hmm. you know, and we're cellular creatures. 
And that's this um, Hayflex limit, the clock, you know, runs out on them and they die. So... How does so this 50? get back to Henrietta? Was that oh, yeah, I, I was mentioning Henrietta Lacks, yeah. Yeah, you were explaining okay. this as a... So, yeah, then along comes Henrietta, and unbeknownst to her, they took cells from her, and they never did tell her. When she was in the hospital? Yeah, in the hospital John, dying, okay. 1951. And Ernie, her children and relatives only, like, recently in the last, I don't know, decades found out about it. Wow. <laughs> but they found that she had these really special cancerous cells that would grow like hell. And never die, like they and so mm. they 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 called them immortal immortal cells, mm. and um, they're spectacular, to the tune of. There has been something like fifty million tons, of her cells that have been grown. Wow. S- since 50 she million died. tons. Fifty oh, million <laughs> tons. Do you What's know the, the uh, a... cells per ton measurement? Oh, for Christ's sake! <laughs> or the weight of an individual cell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which That's a more lot confusing of confusing to think about. You weigh one hundred and eighty pounds, and you have a trillion cells in you. Just do that math quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can get down to the yeah, cell me... weight in a in a hurry. Yeah, fifty million metric tons, so heavier than a U.S. ton, you know. Yeah, and um, it's about. I, I just out of curiosity, I looked because I'm interested in how much the 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 um, pyramid and the Great Pyramid in Egypt weighs. Mm-hmm. Just as a cursory, you know, curiosity, but that's about um five thousand metric tons. That seems so, wrong. No, <laughs> fifty. Oh, Aren't those blocks? Fifty million metric tons. So. <laughs> Hold on, five thousand. Five. Now I'm questioning. It's five, it's five, yeah. five million metric tons. Maybe. I really so hope it's, it's ten times. Yeah. How underwhelming would that be if the pyramids were five thousand metric tons? <laughs> like, <laughs> like we've been puzzled for years over how they get these blocks right, up there. Right. Right. Okay, turns that, out you just carry you carry one you just, block in each arm. You just yeah. walk them up the slope. The finished pyramid weighs five point nine million metric tons, 5.9 which is million. okay. Thirteen so billion let's say pounds. 10, ten pyramids. Of her cells have been produced because it was fifty million, fifty million metric tons. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, that's we crazy. Do, we could do a whole podcast on <laughs> weights and measures. Yeah, especially with the range that we were just offered up, we can't really go wrong with that. Somewhere between five thousand and five point nine million this metric was, tons. This was meant to help visualize how many. <laughs> I, I'm I'm less clear on how many cells we've made of hers than before. Picture ten ten uh, pyramids. Uh, like like big pyramids. Yeah. Okay. The big, big ones <laughs> of Giza in uh, Egypt. The, the big ones. The ones, All right. that, the ones that Napoleon shot the nose off, off the Sphinx that sits in front of the uh, in front of the Great Pyramid. Napoleon shot the nose off it with his with a cannon. So annoying. Just, oh, yeah. just, cause just because he was a right little prick. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just because he was bored one day. Because he was short. <laughs> <laughs> How short? That's unbelievable. He, yeah, he was approaching. How short-sighted the action! So annoying <laughs> yeah. that he. How petty! Yeah, like couldn't you just conquer them? No, yeah. no, wasn't that wasn't enough. He had he had to like, you know, humiliate them by shooting the nose off their, you know, three thousand year old sphinx. Yeah. Okay. So, Back before we completely forget her. Oh yeah, Henry thought, Henry I do want to finish. So, so they're they're famously called Gila cells. The first two initials of her of her letters of her first name and last name, Gila. And so no one, she was anonymous, you know. Um, obviously, she was dead. No one knew that they harvested her cells. So it was all kept secret. 
Um, but they went to every lab around the world, and they still are today. Um, Were they called that prior to giving her the acknowledgement, or they yeah, have, they've always right been away, called, they HeLa? called HeLa okay. cells? And uh, people that tried to track it down were on the, they were sort of on the right trail, um, but they never came up with her name. They were looking like for uh, Henry Las Lazarus, um, <laughs> you know, so they got close. Harry um, Lazarus. <laughs> it's always that last only name. last name you can think of. Lapantha. <laughs> not even sure if that's a last name, really. No. I'm not sure either. But you get the point. Yeah, Hela Hela sells. So, okay, that, even more fascinating, they, they ship these cells everywhere, and they're so aggressive and full of vigor. You know, you just can't kill these cells. They're immortal. So they went to every lab around the world because now for the first time, researchers in, you know, whether you're in England or in France or in, whether you're in Australia, you could get your hands on a cell culture line that didn't die. Mm. And now you could do your research. And um, as long as you fed them nutrients, they just kept growing. Well, it's the damnedest thing, though, and um, is that they were so aggressive and so vital, uh, so, you know, full of vitality, that they outcompete every other cell line. So what's happened over time is they've contaminated damn near every cell cell culture line in the world, every laboratory if they think they're working with rhesus monkeys, or they think they're working with like a mouse kidney cell, or they think they're working with like a, you know, um, a, you know, a, a baboon's um, spleen cell, it, 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 maybe at the start they were, but but by the time of the end of their experiments, they're now working with HeLa cells. <laughs> How does that work? Because they contaminate their the the petri dishes or the incubators. But where do they come from, like? If you started with a, they come from Henrietta, <laughs> come from the pyramids. Yeah. Um, but but when if you say using a mouse cell to start, yeah. how can it? If you know without a doubt that you've got a mouse yeah, cell, how right. does it? It's how does it morph into something well, else? Or two is it things, get, Jack. As far as I know, is they the let's say you're buying your mouse cells from some lab in Germany. Okay. But they also have other cell lines in their lab in Germany, and one of the cell lines they'll have in there for damn sure is HeLa cells. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so they get they get infected at the source, um, even airborne. They're so even they're in so, a lab setting. Where even in a lab setting, yeah. Oh. The second thing is they never test. A lot of the time, they just assume they've got mice cells, but they never test it before they start the experiment because mm. it's labeled as that. Um, and so you can start working with what you think is a, a, a like a mouse cell line, and um, but it ends up being it's HeLa cells in there, or a combination of both. But the HeLa so, cells outcompete the, the every other cell. So the model can be all wrong from the get go. Right for from a, the get go. The research standpoint, yep. they're wanting to investigate. I don't know. Let's say a, a health outcome on mm-hmm. a, you know a line of cells that they think is from a mouse, but it's yeah. really. Hela cells from yeah, Henrietta. So from yeah. Henrietta Lacks. So inferences from that data then are is it are they jeopardized or for sure they're confounded as hell. Yeah. So the other thing hmm. that can happen is I have a qu- sorry, one more question yeah. that I think might well be germane. I have a question. Yeah, is so these Hela cells, are they they're they're cancerous cells? Yeah. Are they her? Like unique to her? Yeah. To Henrietta? Like in the sense that you say if they're working with mice cells. Yeah. Are they working with 
cells from this human yeah. Henrietta, or is it cancerous, something different? No, they're working with Henrietta's cells, with because every cell has your, you know, your DNA in it, and so it's hers. Sure. So um, in a s- but it's been, because oh, it's a very interesting, fascinating subject, because people, if they're interested, they can Google it, but there is a, there's a, a school of, uh, there's a hypothesis or a school of petition out there, at least among scientists, is that, you know, because her cells have been um, grown, you know, to such volume, a.k.a. the 10 pyramids um, over all these years, and they've been mixed in with so many other cells, you know, over 70 years, and there's transfers. We talked in last uh, last podcast, you know, there's jumping genes and horizontal gene transfer. So the, the DNA in her cells originally from 1951, even though they're still... Today, they're the granddaughter cells, great, 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 great you know, by mm-hmm. trillions of times, but they're not the, not exactly the same anymore. Mm. So they've become, there's an argument out there that they should be called, I forget the name, they've given them a Latin name for a completely new organism. Because mm. <laughs> they don't represent something right. you can go out and find. Yeah, right, you and just can't. Because my um, question well, was going to be is, if you think using the mice mm-hmm. again, but you're actually using her cells, exactly. is it the sense that you've almost been running these experiments on human cell lines, but you've said they've morphed potentially so yeah. far that it's not exactly like, like if the outcome was really good, we thought in mice, but it turns out using human cells, it's like, oh, that yeah. is an like unconventional way of testing it on humans. But <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I'm really oversimplifying this process. No, you're not. It's a big issue. Like the the famous journals now have, have finally, it's like being a, an, it's been like an oh shit moment. Like, you know, that's really reverberated around the, you know, molecular biology community. Um, for example, it's called into question thousands of, um, you know, peer-reviewed papers that have been published where they never, um, they never did the due diligence on testing their cell lines at the start or at the end to mm-hmm. see if you to see if you got what you <laughs> were supposed to be working with, and now they know there's like. 30 to 36 percent of all cell lines are contaminated with he- with HeLa. Wow! So it, I read somewhere it's like tens of thousands of studies are confounded and should really be pulled. <laughs> but there'd be drug approvals oh and all goodness. these things Everything, that have, you Tommy, know from these studies. Right, you're so yeah. right. All these drug approvals and vaccines and you know, and then citations run into the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where where other researchers are citing these studies, and um, but they're all uh, the scientific terminology is confounded. Where now you don't know your results are really all in question. Mm. That reminds me of um, Brett Weinstein went on yep. Joe Rogan and he brought up something kind of similar to that, where the the mice that are used in a lot of studies have mm-hmm. been um, bred so many times for this purpose of being you know a lab based mouse as the model for a lot of experiments um but across this sort of inbreeding or line breeding um you know across generations and generations the mouse that is in all the labs for the most part that's being used in a lot of studies doesn't actually represent the you know most mammalian cells or most mammalian species anymore um i think he talks about it as like the the extended or the lengthened telomeres um in these mice Mm -hmm. make a lot of the interpretations from data same thing makes you know decades of research and publications and papers that used those mice and made, you know, ultimately had 
drugs come onto the market going mm-hmm. into the for for human use um, brings those into question too. It's kind of the same sort yeah. of conversation here with, with the, the HeLa cells. Then yeah, where the cells that you're testing on are not representative of if the model the real you're world. using isn't representative, right, then if yeah, it keeps drifting. Right, man. How so impossible would to, this to be to put back in the you know put the genie back oh, in the bottle? They don't want to know. There's a lot no. of pressure to not let it really get for out. Sure. At least on that telomere one. I imagine it's the same for this HeLa. I hadn't yeah, it been is. learning right now about that. No, it's that. a big deal. They don't want to. They don't really want to publicize the no. problem because the problem's so damn big, and would be it's a billion dollar pro, billions of multi billion dollar problem. You know, mm. um, well, and just complete like. What are the, mm-hmm. what's the truth? Like, what's the, you yeah. turn everything upside down. That's very So Henrietta, about to carry on her story and then her family, they never told her about it. Like, obviously oh, yeah. she died, but they didn't tell her family that they harvested her cells. So then there's been a big ethical yeah. bioethics, you know, <laughs> like her family. You think of the trillion dollars of all the drug and biopharmacy industry benefiting from her cells um, over 70 years and her family not getting a penny, you know, it's a little bit naughty. Yeah. A little bit. My yeah. Goodness. And uh, so a jar of her cells. Yeah. It reminds me of like the Tuske- Tuskegee, Tuskegee experiment. Remember that? That well, was with the in the black community as well, where they, oh, where yeah. they yeah. didn't quite let on what they were up to. It's like <laughs> so bad. Yeah, yeah. Was, that was back in like 1932 where they where they took a group of sharecroppers basically and, and – um, and ran a syphilis, you know, experiment on, on mm. black sharecroppers. Never mm. told them uh, that, that what they were doing, um, or lied to them. And then they never gave them any intervention because they wanted to run, They wanted to follow and charter like the full, um, the the full um, progression of syphilis mm. disease, you know, and chronicle that. And so it wasn't in their interest to let on what they were up to. Mm. So, wow. yeah, and so there's another, that was on a bigger scale. There was like four or 500 people involved in that. But yeah, it's it, 600. Was there? Okay, yeah, 600, yeah. It's they huge. didn't know what they were no. being enrolled in. So they just let them suffer. And, <laughs> wow. You know, and then, um, but Henrietta obviously was just a single person. But anyway, yeah. so her contribution, though, think of it positively, her contribution to mankind is like, could, because they're immortal cells, could live on forever. <laughs> and maybe she's been responsible, you know, for so many. Well, polio vaccine we talked about. Yeah, you know, we've eradicated polio in in most of the world. You know, which was just horrendous disease, a virus that you know crippled and blinded children. And I mean, it was just horrible. And and Jonas Salk, you know, famously used the HeLa cells to for all his research. You know, his sure. final research on uh, mm. developing the vaccine. For polio, you know, so that was, hmm. just, and then AIDS has been. They used HeLa cells for all the AIDS research, and well, like everything. So yeah, her contribution would be really hard to even. Yeah, like so they should have a it. big bloody statue for of Henrietta Lacks, sure. you know, in Washington. Yeah, the size of ten pyramids. Yeah, <laughs> so she wasn't that big to be fair. <laughs> she was just little gal, you know. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so that's that's interesting though. So thank you. It, it's a, like fairly interesting. It's it's more than fairly interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But maybe for Jess, was, who's also no, it's very. I I didn't know anything. Yeah, about so it, now obviously. you jump yeah. ahead to cell meat, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, how do these connect? Well, yeah. Well, well, imagine the cell meat cultures. One of their huge problems is contamination of with um. We'll get to that viruses and bacteria and Henrietta Henrietta Lacks. Nice. Yeah. So you might think you're growing beef. Yeah. You're in your. <laughs> oh man. In your uh, cell Jeffrey culture, D- Jeffrey Dahmer. Right, growing. And you might have started growing beef cells, but by the time you're by the time you finished up with your growing your hamburger, it might be more Henrietta Lacks than beef. <laughs> That's you know? crazy. Because it'll her cells, HeLa cells, will outcompete anything. Yeah. So you know you only need one of them to get in there airborne. And um, you got a problem, you know. So, what is so we want to talk about yeah. cell cultured meat? Maybe yeah. we should please. frame it what that is. Yeah, um, please go, go ahead. Yeah, so it's viewed, and I don't know if listeners today, um, I, I'm sure everyone has some idea in their head what that means. You know, there's a lot of different names for it. Um, I think I wrote down, you know, lab grown meat clean meat, in vitro meat, cultured meat. And so there's a, you know, before even diving into that, there's a lot of tricky names that can go into it. Clean meat is one that's getting a lot of pushback. It's suggestive <laughs> that it's cleaner than, you know, conventional meat. Um, but but these, I think, to me, I call them self-cultured meat, I guess, is maybe the... Mm-hmm. the lab-grown meat is... Or lab-grown meat, maybe that's what we can... The, yeah. The lay, layman. I think for the purpose of this conversation, those are all somewhat interchangeable for us right here. Um, but the... It, it, they're popping up everywhere, you know, these startup companies and uh, and funding going into this sort of scientific endeavor to understand and try to, you know, ultimately grow lab-grown meat. Um, and one of the pushes is a as a replacement, um, you know, for conventional meat. Um, and so it's taking the animal cells and, you know, back to the Henrietta story, if you could have them live forever, that would be a huge perk. But for now, it would be taking cells from a relatively small number of animals in the population. So for instance, you know, I think some of the estimates I've seen is 150 cows would be enough if this, in theory, can scale up to the level to feed everyone. That's all you would need to provide the cells. So some of the pushing behind it is as a from an animal welfare standpoint where there's no longer a need for livestock to be the machine that raises meat for human consumption where the lab can now do it. So you take the cells and you grow them in big vats or big bioreactors and scale it up and um, grow this so meat you know, without the animal meat without the animal yes I, and mm. that's um, but uh, chemically it's the same like it's actually meat it's not a synthetic meat is the difference as so I think it gets at least I sometimes I think of them similar to like plant-based meat or meat alternatives this isn't that this is saying this is chemically the same as a ribeye we just grew it in the um, in a lab versus I, in the animal. I think they want that to be some of the connotation with it. It certainly isn't okay. th- that simple. Um, there are nutrition differences between them. Um, there's just, but for all intents and purposes, it is okay. m- muscle fibers are being grown. Sure. Um, and then layered on top of each other. And, um, and you know, they have scaffolding in these bioreactors. They allow it to kind of grow like a muscle kind of wood. And eventually it just scales and scales and gets bigger and bigger as you add the muscle fibers on top of each other. They can form bundles and grow. Um, but you're missing a lot of the other things that are actually going on in a 
in the biological animal. There's, yep. you know, the connective tissues and blood vessels and um, a lot of the vitamins and, and things like that that would be in muscle today that wouldn't necessarily be in there. But it is real muscle fibers. So, in you know, in some respects, it is, you know, uh, it's much and, more... and fat, muscle and fat, lipid. Yeah, yeah, right. They'd grow the, the cell fats or the, the fat mm-hmm. cells separate and weave them into, right? It's kind yeah. of the, there'd be two different cell lines they'd try to propagate and um, blend together to try to match what a steak or a burger or a chicken nugget um, mm-hmm. is like today. Um, it's much, so your, your point about alternative meats and plant-based meats, this is, you know, it's way, way closer, but it isn't, it is more or less a substitute for conventional meat. Mm-hmm. Um from a nutrition standpoint, there are some things left to be desired, obviously, with it too. But sure. compared to plant-based protein meats, that's exactly what they are. Those are soy or wheat or mm-hmm. you know proteins from plant that are just alternatives to meat. They're not actually a... Uh, mm-hmm. So in, just to put it simply, this mm-hmm. is maybe uh, one of the goals in theory is to maybe to be able to provide animal protein, meat protein, without harvesting the animal without needing to graze and kill animals Yep. in a nutshell. So, okay. As yep. you think of what the, what the market for this might be, you know, it's yeah. as opposed to like or what's an impossible burger. Yeah. Yeah. Or the push, I think, I think you know, that's and, a good question is uh, I think we should maybe even address that from the get go. What do we think there? Cause I, I'd be shocked if our listeners haven't heard something about mm-hmm. this by now, you know, there's, it's just, it, it's um, a lot of, it's catchy headlines can be made from this lab grown meat sort of thing. Um, but the push behind it, um, I think that has been morphing over time, but it's kind of settled on a couple of main points. And um, Dad, you mentioned this before, you identified the same thing when you were reading too, that it seems to be environmental focused and animal welfare focused are the the driving reasons as to why there's investors and companies and interest in this sort of um, technology, um, which I think there's a lot of dilemmas with that, and I think we're, we'll yeah. all be on the same page kind of there, and we hope to get into some of that. Um, but if we zoom out for a second, it seems silly that the ultimate motive isn't just to provide more protein sources for a feeding a growing population. Because if that was the pursuit, that's noble. Mm-hmm. To me, that seems like that's a worthwhile endeavor. You know, If there's people in parts of the world that have you know, nutrient deficiencies, if this would help alleviate that, you know... Um, yeah. Why wouldn't we want to do that? But that doesn't seem to be the messaging at all associated with, um, you know, at least for rounding up investors and get, like uh, rallying support. It's not to feed the world. That's well, to shifted. tear down yeah, it's to, yeah, it's to, you know, bring up, highlight the, um, you know, the so-called environmental concerns that conventional abundance agriculture brings to the table. And this would supposed to alleviate the world of that burden. Um, and, and that's a lot of the messaging behind it. And well, without saying too much, it's just not, it's not necessarily true either, you know? Yeah. Well, I think this, we'll get into this, but I mean, I don't know a lot about this, but it doesn't take long to realize that some of these huge grandiose claims that are being made, these are what we're working with today. Um, I think we talked about before, there's two approved um, lab grown meat companies in the U S right now. Is that right? Um, I don't think there's technically any that are FDA approved. They have regarded as safe for human consumption. Oh, sure. Whatever. Uh, But the point is, these are very, very much in the theoretical stage still right now. Like so, 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 so far from being something that's actually market 
yep. ready, even in the technical sense, but also then in like the sense of markets, affordability, mm-hmm. and actually supplying demand. So when you hear these huge claims, like it's going to be an environmental, um, you know, godsend. Yeah. And uh, like we're a long ways from that. And, and spare every animal. Like, yeah. Like I think, as you guys will talk about more, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, holes in this theory or in this um, plan, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I, I think, think part to, of it, they're, I think to build on, on that, part of their problem is they're, they're caught in this big hype loop, mm-hmm. you know, where they're, where they're, they're sensationalizing this whole thing so much to get venture capital. Yes. And um, so they're, they become which is interesting, obviously, to raise billions of dollars, which have been done already, and to attract, you know, major food companies, protein companies like JBS and Tyson and ADM. You know, they've all invested in it. Cargill is, you know, these huge giants to attract them as well and raise, you know, all this venture capital, um, Mm -hmm. billions and billions of dollars now. There's something like 150 startup companies now. But so they're, everyone's, you know, beating this drum and it's kind of like you've got to make it more sensational to catch more dollars and mm. because it's competitive now too. So they're, in some ways, they're, they're going to be, you know, they're, they're, they're like, they're going to become their own worst enemy here pretty quick, I think, that they've overhyped mm-hmm. it and now they have to keep pushing back all of their launch dates. Mm-hmm. You know, they've oversold it. Yeah. Overpromised, um, overpromised, and there could be a big like it could be the big proverbial bubble here that bursts, mm-hmm. you know, because um it's so secretive too this whole industry, you know, and I get it that they want to um hold you know their innovations and developments close to their you know intellectual property, but you know you know they're not most of these companies aren't working with um you know university researchers to where the data and the, you know, is becoming public because it's so competitive to get mm-hmm. an advantage. So there's a lot that we don't know about it. And we suspect uh, after doing a lot of following this for a number of years, I think there's a lot of dirty linen as well, you know. What do you mean by that? By like some dirty little trade secrets they don't want people to know about. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, sure. They want you to focus on we're going to save the world we're going to, you know, stop climate change. We're going to, you know, remove all animal agriculture so there'll be no more animals need to suffer. We'll get rid of basically all, you know, reduce all the farm land down to these little bioreactor plants. So, you know, it'll be great for the environment. We'll save on water and mm-hmm. we'll save on methane and we'll say, like, it's all, it's all mm-hmm. euphorian. You know, um, they, they keep moving the the goalposts too on it. Yeah, you know, the, but they got to keep the sensational emerge. thing going. Yeah, yeah, as, it's good as the bottlenecks emerge. Yeah. And then okay, because yeah. let's say they started with we're going to feed the world without using a single animal from here mm-hmm. on. You know, in ten years, okay, that's quickly become okay. That's not going to be realistic. So now it's going to be, you know, we're going to save the planet by investing in this. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's some issues with that, and so now it's going to be, you know, offsetting some of that and some of the animal death and some of that, and so the, the expectations are being tempered. It seems like maybe a little bit more today than they were each of the past years, yeah. but each launch date, like you mentioned, for all these companies is postponed. Um, I think there's one. So in Singapore, right, they're yeah. servicing one 
um, what is it, True or uh, I think Eat Just is Eat the Just, company. yeah. Yeah. They uh, they're providing chicken nuggets or mm-hmm. chicken to one singular restaurant um, in mm. in Singapore on a limited well, points, on a limited basis. It all points to that it's trending towards nothing more than well, not nothing more, but it's all trending to follow like virtue signaling mm-hmm. as opposed to. Yeah, um, like going that direction. Because to your point, when you said it started out as, oh, we're going to feed the world. Like I've heard about, well, you and I probably heard about lab-grown meat well before, you know, the majority because of you, Dad. You know, I remember mm-hmm. in high school for me it was already yeah. 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, you were discussing, you know, the yeah. that one day, you know, there's like the technology to be able to grow, you know, this this whole technology was emerging and you were seeing it through the lens of, you know, what could this do to alleviate hunger in the yeah. world? And like, that's, that was 10 years ago. Um, and now here we are having this podcast and it's shifted significantly on, on mm-hmm. what, what this market that's emerging is um, aiming to do. Yeah. And it ties in so well with where investments come for really any company today is mm-hmm. um, sustainability, environmental claims that go with it. I mean, we were looking at some of these figures Ninety percent less land use, seventy yeah. percent less water Crazy. use. Like the claims that there can be made, you know, they're so uh, well, they're grandiose. I mean, yeah. there's some in some hand, in some regards, if it were to happen a hundred percent how they say it would, there might be some, you know, land sparing. But I think factoring in how big these facilities would have to be, that's completely yeah. disregarded. Like we haven't even got into like what it, the scalability of this mm-hmm. endeavor is. Um, you know, the more we read about it, it's really difficult to envision that necessarily yeah. happening from a sheer amount of machinery and things like that that it would take to pull it off. I think we should talk so. about, to, to set that up, we should maybe talk about, there's two things that I want to talk about, um, is the the impracticalities or the challenges around it from a, as you think about being accepted into the market, you know, <laughs> things like that, the physical size, but also the cost and the challenges to, if you were to actually, what would, what are the obstacles in the way um, that would well, pr- be standing in the way of this becoming something that actually can make a significant difference in the uh, food supply? I, th- I think before you answer that, Dad, maybe you should just even walk through quickly what the process is sure. today in simple mm-hmm. terms, how you see it. Um, yeah. And because that I think sets it up to go into okay. what so, some of those bottlenecks are. Yeah. In principle, they take a, a, a stem cell. And a stem cell, um, you know, those stem cells can you can you can tweak them to become um, to grow, you know, different tissues and um, become different organs or tissues, as examples. So they take these stem cells and then to produce the to grow muscle, and um, and then they they put them into an incubator, very small. It has to be stepped up to grow cells. It's not like growing bacteria. You know, we've talked about growing vaccines and, and pharmaceuticals like penicillin was a is a fermentation product. But uh, to you know, to grow microbes or bacteria in fermentation process is different mm-hmm. for two reasons. One is um, the bacteria, uh, especially if they're anaerobic, meaning they don't need oxygen. You can just pile those little bastards in there by the trillions, mm-hmm. you know, and heat them up and feed them some soup. And, and you'll just grow bacteria like crazy, you mm-hmm. know, and that's through fermentation um, process. Now, this is incubation for cells, and they're aerobic, meaning they need oxygen, muscle cells, 
And um, this is a big problem in scaling up. So you got to, and I'll get to that, but you got to start with these little ones, like a little pot to make a cup of tea in. Mm -hmm. Then you stay as they grow a little, then you got to put them in another Mm -hmm. and bigger. So there's a series of scaling them up. You can't just start them in the, in the, you know, 50,000 liter tank. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to provide them with nutrients the whole way, because and, and the nutrients are very, very tricky. And this is one of the dirty linen, you know, that they don't want to talk about. But um, up till now, you know, the main source of of what they call a medium to grow the cells, because the cells need nutrition. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you've, they've been using um, uh, fetal bovine serum which is like a magical serum for growing cells. Like it works better than anything else uh, because it has everything that a cell needs in it. It has all the growth hormones in there. It has all the growth factors. It has transcription signaling factors. It has, you know, just the plethora of nutrients from A to Z. And, um, and, and, and a lot of, uh, you know, other sort of like a, a immuno compounds, molecules, Mm-hmm. You know, so cells, so they need this fetal bovine serum, which is a, which is a, you know, which is the antithesis to the purported goal. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to grow simply fetal bovine serum yeah. is blood from calf, you know, unborn fetus blood. Like yeah, I don't talk know. just to, to yeah. your point because this like is being marketed as a animal welfare thing. But yeah. talk about this dirty piece of laundry. Yeah, like how so. do you get? Like since I first started talking to you about this, you know, 15 years ago when I was so excited about it and the future of it, well, this whole period of time, they've all of these cells, all the stuff they've been growing, the first famous first burger out of Maastricht in the Netherlands mm-hmm. by Mark Post um, was a $380,000 hamburger, you know. Well, that was grown with, you know, fetal bovine serum and everything since then has been until very recently, they're trying to now use plant serums or plant media. But anyway, the way you get fetal bovine serum is, they, is they've harvested something like, I don't know, 800,000 calf fetuses. And they get them at the slaughter plant. Um, and it's pretty ugly. Um, it happens that some cows go to slaughter and they're pregnant mm-hmm. um, inadvertently. And um, so they watch for those, and as they, the mother is euthanized, killed, and then they, as they eviscerate her, they grab the calf out, and then they send it to a special area in the slaughter plant, and it's it's special because this is the most singularly valuable thing that they have in the plant, mm-hmm. this uh, calf, and the the fetus has to be alive, mm-hmm. still alive. Um, and the reason it has to be alive is so that when they stick the needle in its heart, mm-hmm. that it'll pump out. They can catch the the, the serum um, from the calf. So there's no, you know, there's. It's very distressing. So they bleed it out alive. Thing. Yeah, while it's alive, it has to be kept alive. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, with no, there's no, and there's no, uh, what do you call novocaine or. Um, there's no anesthetic there's no they just jab a big needle in its heart and and over half an hour or so suck so it's pretty horrible so they don't want you to know about that but that's how they get this um uh, fetal bovine serum which is like magical Mm -hmm. in some regards it makes sense why that is critical to it right you're trying to grow Mm -hmm. mammalian cells the blood inside of 
you know, an animal is what circulates all the necessary nutrients in the right proportions with all the growth factors and hormones and all the different things that come along with it for signaling and upregulating growth. That's what this delivers for these cells. You know, yeah. it has all of that stuff already built into it. So it makes, yeah. in one hand, it makes sense why that is in, you know, up to today or, you know, there's a lot of, I think that's where you're heading. You'll, you'll talk about some alternatives, but um, why that's been, you know, a bottleneck. I think it's sure. the, the first bottleneck in the process is, is that um, and replicating all the intricacies and nuances of, of what that delivers to these cells um, to make them grow. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to replicate. For sure. Uh, yeah. It makes sense why um, it also makes, it's also interesting that the very first bottleneck you're already getting to things that are directly against this whole mission of um, animal welfare and like this clean Correct. harm cruel you'll see labels i'm sure cruelty free and stuff i mean just everyone's squared away there's still a incredibly in this case very cruel i would argue type of death in order to get the the um the needed serum so yeah. that's interesting right off the bat okay go yeah, on so and the other problem with it though is so there are some certainly bioethic issues there mm -hmm. and it certainly doesn't help you euphoric marketing that's what i mean yeah. Um, yeah. um for this for this um you know idyllic world that you're going to create so so that's sort of a dark uh, secret um they are working on very hard because for two reasons one is they know it's a um a stain on the industry um, the investors don't really want, not that comfortable with it. The sec, the second thing is, uh, the consumer, once they know about it, won't want to eat this, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. cause it's horrible. Uh, the third problem they have is there's a finite amount of these, you know, fetuses that they can get the serum from. And, um, at the moment there's like, uh, 800,000 liters a year available from the whole world. Well, you know, if they're going to have these reactors at a hundred thousand liter reactors, you know, you've got enough for eight <laughs> to use once. So it's yeah. you know, it's just terminal in every sense. It's going expense nowhere. It's a huge amount of the expense. Yeah. Oh yeah, talk today. about the expense of this fetal bovine serum. Mm -hmm. Do you? Oh, you it's un this? it's unbelievable how yeah. expensive this is yeah. per like ounce or per. Yeah, I don't um, have the numbers milliliter. yet, but certainly it's very expensive. I'll look it up. And, um, but well, now as they try to pivot away from it and recreate it out of other, um, you know, compounds, plant compounds and fermentation. and Yeah. Uh, so there's two things that are happening. It's pretty interesting not to get bogged down. But we talked before about uh, the HeLa cells and how it's confounded all the research because you started – you know, you thought you were working with this cell line and you end up working with Gila, Henrietta. Um, and it's a little bit like this with all these startup on cellular meat. They've all been working with bo fetal bovine serum to do all their proof of concept, mm -hmm. but now they're switching to uh, new serum yeah. uh, mediums, rather. And if, so if I was an investor, I'd be like, hold on, all your <laughs> proof of concept is not, exactly proof of concept anymore because the nutrient solution to grow the cells is now gone yeah <laughs> and um so i think it's a little bait and switch I, I bet there aren't there's probably a lot of investors or investor funds that aren't quite aware of that mm -hmm. um hmm. i think it's 55 to 95 percent of the expense of for instance that first burger three hundred twenty five thousand mm -hmm. dollar burger or whatever the um almost you know 
almost all of that is tied up in the in the FPS fetal bovine serum expense mm-hmm. to grow it. So it's mm-hmm. um, carries a hu- very significant amount of the of the price that goes into you know the growing these cells. Um, and you're right. If that is what everything's been proven on based on this, and now you've got in theory come up with an identical or an equivalent mm-hmm. solution or growth medium for these cells, but that wasn't you know part of proof of concept stages, it's very likely that that isn't going to to work as well. And I think that's kind of mm-hmm. kind of sort of where it's at today. Um, there is progress being made on it. I, oh, in yeah. my understanding that no, there, there are, are some. There's alternatives now yeah just quickly for some i don't know how accurate these prices are but just to throw a number out since we've referenced it um 500 milliliters from this company it's interesting it's marketing themselves as the uh, serum provider for culture needs um 500 milliliters so that's not much yeah uh 800 for that um we should get some (laughs) yeah just as a chunk of it also depends what you're talking about, you know, like if it's 55 to 95% of one singular burger where you're only growing, you know, two ounces of mm-hmm. tissue, if that's your burger, you need such a small amount of relatively a small amount yeah. of fetal bovine serum. Yeah. So that's just another bit of context for that number, I guess. Sure. But point oh, is, yeah. it's another it's expensive. right away. It's an economic, it, it's practically limiting because it's, there's a finite amount in the world. And that's, I guess, also why the price is so expensive is mm-hmm. because of the yeah mm-hmm, the limiting so factor. So they have to. So the whole cost thing is is um, built up uh, for for to assume you can grow meat. Well, let's talk about. We'll continue on what we're doing first. So I said we got to step up the reactor, start with a teapot, and then work up to a big you know bio a big bioreactor. Well, so scaling it up now. The claim is they'll they'll try and feed the whole world with this, you know, in like thirty years time or some dang thing. But um, you know, at the moment there's enough bioreactor capacity in the world from the pharmaceutical industry. Like the total amount of it is five million liters everywhere in the world. And these are the pharmaceutical, you know, giants that are very well practiced in using bioreactors it's not it's not a startup <laughs> development thing for them they've been at it for 50 60 years so they know what they're doing but everything's sterile you know like you mm-hmm. can't sneeze in there you can't it's all it's all uh, negative vacuum pressure you know so there's no air can come in it's all it's turned over like 40 50 times an hour the air in their exchange you know you got to go in there with a with a suit on like you're like you're an astronaut you know, on Elon's Falcon Heavy, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a pristine, sterile environment. And the reason for that is because you imagine you got a $25,000 reactor or bio um, reactor incubator, and it's cooking your cells, assuming you can, get, you can get it full without them all dying, which is another problem because as you stir these, you've got to keep it moving to get the oxygen and the nutrients in there. So you can imagine if you've just got one layer of cells laying on a tabletop on a glass, you know, uh, then you could you could get enough air around them in solution, the liquid media to cover them. They should grow, but now you start putting layer and layer and layer on them, mm-hmm. and now you've got a now it's a, a foot tall 
of cells. Now it's six foot tall. Now it's a you know eighty foot tall of cells in a in a big tank. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you going to get the oxygen around them, and how are you going to get the nutrients to them in the middle? And um, this is a huge problem because you know again if they don't they die. And yep. now you've and now you've just got a big pile of shit on your hands, you know, because they <laughs> <laughs> they die in a hurry, and then you've just got you know it's a it's an absolute huge disaster. Feed that slurry back to cattle. Yeah, it can handle about anything. Well, right, <laughs> wouldn't Ooh. that be funny? So this is a scale up problem. Yeah, like so that's why you know at the moment, um, you know, you can grow them on very on a very um, flat surface sort of thing, but to actually grow them into big bulk yep. is a massive technical problem. Well, and, I think that's um, an interesting point too, just on animal cells compared to even plant cells. The, mm-hmm. the cell wall is so fragile in these mm-hmm. animal cells that you want to keep them moving, like you're saying, circulate the nutrients and the growth medium around them to the get oxygen. equal access to all the nutrients and the oxygen and all that for each cell. In order to move them, you know, these cells, they bump into each other, they can break, they pop open. Um, And when there's a lot of cell damage, it turns into like a... Mush. It's kind of, yeah, very viscous sort of slimy substance that accumulates in there and that ends up damaging more cells and then it just throws the whole thing off. And so you want movement, but it has to be delicate and you want it to be... um, So that's a big challenge. These bioreactors that, you know, are forced to be really delicate on the cells but also move them enough to get the nutrients involved with them whereas yeah. plant cell walls they're they have wait it's a different structure they're quite rigid they're strong mm-hmm. they, they can handle that but yeah mm-hmm. you have to be careful with these it sounds like and yeah not to mention the obviously the need for an entirely pristine oh environment because yeah, they would have no i mean obviously there's no immune there's system no, right? so yeah it's another not to divert but that's no, another good one pieces that Right now, I just did a quick search, and of course, the headlines are antibiotics are not necessary in cell-grown meat. But hmm. start to think about it. If okay, if if we're going to scale this up, and it, it's how realistic is it to have huge, 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 like way, way, way more sterile environments than we currently have in the whole world? Hmm. Okay, probably going to start turning to antibiotics to combat some of this. Um, I, I I guess I could. I don't know if that's true or not, but I could see the, uh, oh, it's very the progression mm-hmm. potentially happening, and that brings us back to this whole antibiotic resistance. And yeah, um, no, you're right. So in order to grow these cells, um, they're getting so contamination. There's several contaminants. One is from HeLa cells. Obviously, we talked about yep. that. Second is from um, or other cells that get you know mixed in. But the second one is from bacteria. You only need one bacterium to get in there. Right. And, and as you said, Jack, the, these cells are naive. They have no immune system. Mm-hmm. So now, the, and the bacteria multiply, you know, on a, on a log scale much faster than, than uh, our mammalian cells. <laughs> you know, mammalian cells grow, you know, infinitely slow compared to bacteria. So bacteria will just overtake the whole damn incubator. And you, again, you've got a pile of shit. And um, the other thing is viruses, you know, viruses are, you know, um, so much smaller than uh, bacteria and carried on the ear or gloves or any contaminant. And now you get a virus in there and they infect all the cells. And and so now you're going to be growing, even if they live, the cells live, they're going to be growing, you know, with um, uh, viruses in them, which is 
probably what you would call not ideal. <laughs> and it's not quick either, the growth no. process, right? No, like I it's going to, I mean, it's it's not a, a day and the batch is done and no, if it gets contaminated, you just start weeks. over. But it's, oh yeah, it's weeks of and it. And then you think you got millions of dollars in the bioreactor. So it's like, you know, now you've got the, the Jimmy, the accountant, and 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 Bobby Sue says, you know what? We should pull the plug on this because we got <laughs> Bobby Sue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> what does Bobby Sue say? <laughs> Bobby's Bobby Sue's a little bit of each. Because <laughs> yeah, that's where we are these days. We're very inclusive. So <laughs> go on about Jimmy and Bobby Sue. Yeah, Bobby Sue maybe half a day of each. No, but anyway, she says, let's pull the plug, you know, because we've it's contaminated. And then, but Jimmy, the accountant's like, bugger, we got a shareholder meeting coming up. So like, nah, pour in the, uh, let's pour in a whole bunch of uh, of uh, tetracycline, you know, and keep the bat, knock out the bacteria and keep this alive. So that's yep. what's been happening. They can't afford to get to deep six all these mm-hmm. uh, cultures that they're growing. So they've been treating them a lot with antibiotics. To keep them alive. Back to your point, it very much is going to be hard to claim antibiotic free sort yeah. of production, Seems which is like another. The opposite direction of where we're yeah. trying to go, like working but with things just, with zero immune system that literally any contamination bacteria would need yeah. Yeah. intervention. There's no way so, you can recover it on its own. Yeah, right. Back And back to scaling, you know, the, the, the one you mentioned in Singapore, they're growing a chicken nugget. Like they can grow like one nugget a week. Sweet. Several hundred pounds a year is all they can produce. And um, so, again, it's all marketing mm-hmm. hype, proof of concept, but marketing. And, um, and uh, but if you were to scale, try and scale up, um, again, I said the pharmaceutical company of the world, total capacity is 5 million liters. Um, you know, but that's only enough to feed 4 million people in theory. 4 million people where we've got 8 billion <laughs> And, right um, now, yeah, and to put it into into context, the 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 companies and that you can read about the big guys, you know, they're all talking about they could produce ten thousand or fifty thousand pounds a year, mm-hmm. as the sort of numbers they're talking of cell meat, nothing, or a hundred thousand pounds a year, that, which is nothing. In the U.S., we produce, I think Tommy, you were telling me one point about a billion pounds. 106 billion. Oh, 106 billion. Process like 100,000 cattle a day, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's (laughs) there's some interesting comparisons with the one, the Greeley plant in Colorado kills, I think that's 5,000 a week. Um, Cattle, they would, in one week, they could, uh, you know, do far more than the most gaudy sort of estimates on some of these companies um, for what their output could be. the biggest one I've seen is Global Food Institute. Their projected one with, I think that it, it, that's, it is what it is. It's projecting what they could do if it all worked out. And they said if it scales and they get everything right, it would be 22 million pounds that they could produce out of a facility um, in theory per year. And that is 0.005% of the U.S. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, meat needs today and so even that number 22 million sounds like a huge amount right mm-hmm. but Nothing. it's it's a drop in the pail which if that's its intended purpose that's that's yeah. fine you know it's if it's niche and it's not for everyone 
Um, but if calling it the savior is, yeah. is not right either. Well, it brings in the question, like, who's going to be the market for it? If it's, we've yeah. already talked about how expensive this is. And if you're only producing so such a small amount of it, that's an obvious equation for an incredibly, incredibly expensive product. It's the new Or Wagyu. one that's going to be, yeah. Yeah, this might rival A5 Wagyu. <laughs> I think it'll look like, but I mean, that's. But really, like So it's either going to be, and they're not going to do it to sell it to nobody, but who's going to buy that? So then I imagine it gets into subsidy type yep. territory yeah. pretty quickly. And then there's not, it's further, not propped up by the market. And then further along that point, if ultimately, if the intent is to help feed a growing world, we've talked about, you've talked about this in basically every episode so far, the majority of the people that are going to come in the next 10, 15, 20 years aren't here. Correct. It's not in developed nations that are, you know, have lots of money and um, the ability to maybe, you know, the top percent of each of the U.S. could maybe afford this. This isn't going to help, you know, underdeveloped areas that have the huge population booms that are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that part's also kind of mm-hmm. missed with these stories too, is like, who's this really helping, um, yeah. you know? Just, yeah, are you doing this now to be, have a bunch more of that little Singapore restaurant that, mm-hmm. you know, that it's a it's a thing to try and talk about and spend a lot of money on, which, you know, is that where this is going? And to your point, okay, if that is, then like, I don't care if there's this little niche in the yeah. market and people want it, but when it starts to be, you know, positioned as the, um, the good side of eating meat and everything yeah. else is is bad. That's obviously where there's huge issues. And when it's framed for just what it is, the the novelty is actually it is kind of cool to think yeah, about. It, I would it, have a nugget that's you know grown in a lab. It'd be yeah, it'd interesting to try that and just see what it is. Exactly. So if there's a market for that, sure. But it, it's not to say it's a replacement or it's better or cleaner or mm-hmm. um, anything. It's it shouldn't be. You know, as a slight to conventional meat, yeah. and then also to prop this up, it should just be its own thing. Yeah, it should of. be. This is pretty cool. You should try yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. But that on that topic, that's another bottleneck in this thing is consumer. So scalability, and I don't know if we might come back. We can come back to scalability. There might be more to. There for sure yeah. is more to elaborate there. But yeah. consumer preference is also it's got to be there. You know who ultimately people Correct. need to want that, and a lot of the data that I've seen where they do, have done surveys, um, they overestimate. Um, you know e- the numbers they would use would a lot of the way these questions are framed are would you try lab grown meat, and it's still you know some places might only be thirty percent would say yes, and that's just trying it. Yeah. That's not would you buy this for more than you know for ten times yeah. more than what you're buying for your. That's like what you said. Right yeah, now. I'd try a chicken nugget out of curiosity. Exactly. So I'd try it once. So it's likely over representing the amount of people that would do it. Um, because I think one paper called it the ick factor. It's, yeah. It doesn't seem natural. Um, there's there's a lot of consumer preference or consumer hangups with it too, which is its own bottleneck to ultimately who is going to... At the end of the day, Correct. someone needs to buy it and if they're doing this and it's not clear who who the uh, uh, intended audience is for. Right. Because there's no way it... Well, I've, I've read and seen the consumer feedback. Like, There's no way it tastes... As good. I mean, yes, it's technically lab-grown meat, but a lab-grown ribeye is not, right now, is not like eating a real, you know, yeah. certified Anya ribeye. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's they're Far miles away. apart, even though they're being lumped in as the same when it gets down to consumer preferences. And so yep. if it's not affordable, and so it's it's meant to be this exclusive thing, but it tastes bad. Yeah. Like, you really it, need yeah, to believe really, the 
other reasons for animal welfare piece. and environment. And we think we've we haven't even really talked about the environmental piece, but there's issues with those views on it too. But even for let's just say those are 100% valid, the animal welfare thing and the environment mm-hmm. thing are your main reasons. I read another paper where that's not even the number one motivating purchase decision for a person sure. either. It's all for personal health and flavor would be the like their enjoyment or satisfaction with the product drives a consumer buying decision more so than environmental um, concerns, which is a distant second is what this paper said. So even I think if, it's interesting. And, even if and that's what people say it. versus yeah. how they actually act in their private Buying purchase patterns. They also got a like a positioning fundamental positioning problem, because on one hand they want to piggyback meat that their meat Mm -hmm. just like you expect with your ribeye, um, or your you know, uh, or your pork, whatever you know, uh, ham or bacon, um, or hamburger. So that because obviously to substitute that, that's to say we can do that. It's like really powerful. Mm-hmm. to uh, attract investment and to get the hype going but there that's a double-edged sword because now you've 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 oversold the fact that it'll be just like eating <laughs> a ribeye you know or a, or a a flat iron steak you know and then but now so now your your customer's perception is is that it's gonna be just like that and now you got a huge freaking problem yeah because how are you gonna make it not only look like that, how are you going to make it taste like that, and how are you going to make the texture yeah, feel like exactly. that? Yep. And this is where you know this is a, like what you would call an insurmountable uh, problem for them because you know as a cow grows, as example, or as we grow, you know we're we're it's so complex and there's and um, there's they call them organoleptic compounds, thousands of them, you know, molecules that go towards t- uh, flavor. You know, a lot of them aren't even identified, um, mm-hmm. and so that whole matrix is hard to replicate. Um, get from a, a lot lab. of one-time buyers if that's how it's being mm-hmm. built. Mm-hmm. Like it is going to be a you know a steak replacement. Yeah, um, you might try it like. For instance, it's I have it's not exactly the same thing, but I remember when last time we went to New Zealand, I flew mm-hmm. separate and in, in Sydney, Australia, I went to a restaurant and it's not lab grown meat, but it's plant alternative yeah, meat. This is where the story burger. goes. And so on on the menu they had hamburger, cheeseburger, bacon cheeseburger, mushroom burger. And so those were the four options, and and I chose the mushroom burger, thinking it was going to be mushrooms on my burger. Oh, um, <laughs> because the they're all the first <laughs> three options you? were bacon cheeseburger, a cheeseburger, and a hamburger. <laughs> and then I got it, and I took a bite of it, and I was expecting it to be mushrooms on a burger, and it was a actual mushroom wow. patty burger. I took one bite, and it's black, and I threw it away. It was disgusting. <laughs> so one time, you know, you trick someone into it. That was Freaking, to me. I thought that was well, clever. You ran the experiment, <laughs> whether like basically. You just, I thought it was clever you, placement of they yeah. didn't clarify that this is a mushroom burger. Like it looked to me like it was intentional to be next in line yeah. after a bacon cheeseburger. They had ten sales that month, and it was all people that did that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No one's going to buy that twice. You also confirmed you can't trust Australians. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key takeaway. Slippery bastards. 
<laughs> that is your key takeaway. That's the main. Yep, that Damn is. Right. It does uh, bring up to my own question of who's the market. Uh, one that I could possibly see this as they continue to shift around and find is the Australians. Is the yeah. Aussies? Um, <laughs> no, is the um, people that maybe are currently eating plant based impossible burger or whatever mm-hmm. and giving them the proposition of this is meat and they're doing it for um, moral reasons or whatever they the reasons they think they're doing it for mm-hmm. um, but then you propose hey this is more nutritious because everyone knows those impossible well not everyone everyone should know that impossible burgers and plant-based meats are not healthy um, mm-hmm. so that could potentially be a market say so here's an actual meat that uh tastes better it's not now mm-hmm. comparison comparison is now against the impossible burger versus the real burger um, so do you think that person that you're describing is um vegetarian vegan because of animal i think that concerns? person is yeah i think okay. it's people that yeah. if they weren't so caught up in all that they would love to eat meat yep just like however many yep. percentage of vegans in theory that's what this would drunk. offer to them right is, exactly. is a solution to that but then you get into every where you look with this product there's dilemmas for like sure that. Um, well just like with any of those di- veganism or anything yep. like that and gen- there's already dilemmas but yep. i guess i'm just pointing out like no i think you're came right to my mind that okay maybe that's one market that is super niche people with high disposable income for example but we're in the and, weeds and looking that's at not it, the point looking at it through that lens is appropriate though because it shouldn't be it should be finding an audience for it if this is a product that's coming forward not Rather a solution to- for you know, displacing a, a major chunk of what people want to yeah. eat. Pushing um, it mainstream on the, the masses. It's a part of every company needs to find who their ultimate audience is and then position it for them. Um, that might be where this could go. Yeah. And to me, that would be completely yeah. appropriate if that's, if they are, if there is clearly a person that wants it, mm-hmm. market to them. And they can do it on a really smaller scale. So, yep. Okay. And um, market appropriately think, towards yeah, them. Yeah, it's, that's, I think that's exactly right. I don't think they're, Everything I've been able to read now is um, sort of points towards this never getting to be cost competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the marketing um, literature still says, you know, we'll reduce costs and we'll get down to the same price as a regular hamburger or a chicken wing, you know, but um, it doesn't look like that's going to be true. Looks like looks like they can never really reach economies of scale with this, the technology. Like there's a really cool comment I read from an expert who, who wrote a, who wrote a, an, an analysis of the whole, um, this whole, uh, endeavor to grow, to produce, mm-hmm. you know, um, cell cultured meat. And he said, it's like, it's a factal, you know, we love factals, factals. He said, it's a factal. no, it's one big no with a thousand little no's, you know, <laughs> following it. Uh, it's just no, no everywhere you look. You can't, There. In another point is, you know, you've heard of Moore's Law, mm-hmm. you know, which is, yeah. applies to originally to super, con, you know, uh, what do you call them, superconductors or in what, the software. What was that, how things get? Moore's Law. How they get exponentially yeah. more like affordable. Cell phone is that, right? Or yeah, like all the, it started with uh, silicon uh, conductors. But yeah. it, it applies more widely to lots of technology where, like, it doubles every year. Sure. Like, every year, every year, it doubles. You double your power or your speed, and you halve your size. Mm. That's the law. Sure. Something like that. Well, so Moore's law, but the problem with, 
with um, this b- upscaling bioreactors, like they're going to build one in Qatar, you know, in the mm-hmm. UAE uh, as a showcase one. They've made a, a joint venture with a startup company. And they hope to produce, like, produce, uh, I don't know, it's like 100,000 liter, liters or, you know, product in... I can't remember the number, but it's quite ambitious in, in uh, Doha, you know, which capital city of Qatar in the Middle mm. East, in the Gulf states. Well, anyway, because they got more money than God, you know, <laughs> thanks to our stupid energy policy, but that's a different chat. <laughs> so they're going to put all their petro dollars into the, into the startup of cell cultured meat. And, um, and uh, but anyway, the cost, you know, so to scale it up, the problem is Moore's law. We're working with biology, so that's your problem. You, you know, it's not like working with computer chips. Mm-hmm. You got yeah. this damn biology, like Tommy said. The cell walls are fragile. They need oxygen. They need nutrient. How are you going to stack it up? How, how are you going to scale it up? The biggest, the biggest bioreactors we have are twenty-five thousand liter reactors. Yeah. But to try and get scale on this, you have to go to 100,000 or 250,000 liter reactors or million liter reactors, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it just becomes, it's like the fact will know, turtles all the way down. No, 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 by a thousand no's. Um, and now you try to introduce um, media to replace the fetuses of the calves. Yep. Well, every ingredient, yep. there's, a, there's a thousand different compounds that got to go in there. Even the amino acids were calculated for one hamburger. You would need, it would cost you just to, re, to provide the essential amino acids, you know, because you need those to build protein. Mm-hmm. Just to provide those would cost $8 a burger. <laughs> just for those amino acids that you can't even see them if you put them in, on, you know, in the palm of your hand. There's, they're just infinitely yeah. <laughs> small compounds. Yeah. Let alone, there's some other. Uh, I read there's some other um, signaling compounds that that cost that growth factor, right? Wasn't yeah, that, that growth uh, TGF uh, beta, I think it's called. It's like million dollars a gram. <laughs> so, like it's it, so the point is, you know, uh, scalability doesn't look to be real promising with this technology. Okay, here it is. So growth factors like TGF beta, transforming growth factor beta, it's a signaling protein, can cost several million dollars a gram. Yeah. <laughs> and that's needed as part of the replacement for the bovine. process of fetal bovine serum. Yeah. So yeah. alternatives Good ROI are at the, at difficult the joint. on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. So, that, you know, where it's headed is um, I was very optimistic about this, excited because I love – the whole idea of feeding, you know, 10 billion people and and if we could provide them with super great nutrition, you know, through protein, meat protein, and, and um, then it seems so exciting. And if we could, you know, do this and spare nature and land and it could complement what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. could add in. But it looks like the cost is just going to be absolutely crazy. That's just to get hamburger, but I and they've been they've been dicking around trying to grow steaks on scaffolds, mm-hmm. edible scaffolds, and yep. but every time you do that, you get another no. Mm-hmm. Like imagine if you had thirty percent of the matrix to get a nice two inch thick ribeye or a tomahawk. Well, thirty percent of that is scaffold now, so you've already diminished the nutrient density of your steak by thirty percent mm-hmm. with this polymer plastic, or it's made of spinach or some damn thing. 
But um, but you're see what I mean. You're losing <laughs> ground all the time, and um, and then you got to three D print it. But you're going to print these stakes one at a time. Like the cost is yeah. So they've done it in Israel. They've produced actually a ribeye that was like an inch thick, and they they grew the fat independently, and they laced it in with a three D printer, and they got themselves to be something looking like a ribeye, you know. But that damn thing probably cost you know twenty million dollars. Like there's so, a there's a guy he um, Hugh Hughes I think I, when I was reading found him he's a consultant for uh, yeah unfortunately th- think of any other name <laughs> his dad's name is Hugh mom's name is also Hugh <laughs> um, he's a, yeah, he's a consultant though at uh, I think six or seven different of these um, uh, lab grown facilities lab grown meats mm-hmm. facilities and that global global food institute is the one that had that whole plan for the 22 million pounds of product uh 450 million dollar facility yada yada to yep. would is what they've written up as what they would project and his takeaway after you know consulting and reviewing at these six different places and uh, and and looking at the literature is the global food institute report projected unrealistic cost decreases and left key aspects of the production process undefined while significantly underestimating the expense and complexity of constructing a suitable facility mm-hmm. um and that's just on the facility and that's just on the facility side and so yeah. he's already concluded that it's um you know and that back to your point dad of there's a lot that we don't know about the processes still because they're you know they're intellectual property they're private because there's competitive groups that are trying to develop these at the same time but his takeaway is that it's you know you're you're basically overselling this yeah. it doesn't seem realistic the cost reductions that they're talking about of taking it down to you know they want cost parity with meat by 2030 is a pretty common figure now that's talked about with these companies is yeah they want it to be pound for pound the same price by 2030 um but this doesn't seem that seems feasible to me like this is kind of a departure but i'm this thought of well, is there anybody that's out there trying to do this from where we started 15 years ago and and instead of saying okay we're going to try to make something that looks and feels and tastes like a ribeye we're going to try to create something that's not that, but it's like a, a powder, for example, that can mm-hmm. be mass distributed to be mixed wow. into uh, yeah. rice or into vegetables around the world for impoverished nations to get them the animal proteins. But we're not trying to be the steak or the... Is anybody doing it from that angle? It seems so much more... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's it, a good, very good jack. And they they aren't with with the cell cultured meat because um, you can't for all the reasons we just talked about, you know, the cost and scalability, but they are with bacteria. Okay. As example. Mm-hmm. And with, um, um, algae, um, okay. cyanobacteria, um, some algae types as well. And, but let's just say bacteria, they are working with, um, trying to grow, you know, microbes, um, for nutrition. Okay. So you could feed them to animals, you know, you could grow them um, because they could potentially have a, and this would be your area, Tommy, but they potentially could have a, like a really good amino acid profile, the bacterial um, 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 grow, um, what do you call the bacteria? Um, Basically the stock, biomass at the end yeah, of them. Yeah, the biomass. And um, could grow them cheaply because then you could feed them you know, nutrients, substrates that are, could be byproducts of what we're already doing and feeding and 
Um, so that looks way more promising to be able to grow like really high quality um, niche proteins. Mm. And bacteria, you know, you can manipulate them with gene editing um, so that you can they can produce maybe some real, you know, compounds that have nutraceutical benefits for us, mm-hmm. you know, to help cure um, deficiencies or help booster, you know, immunostimulant type things. I think this is a much more um, interesting area, Jack, to be fair. And a much more practical uh, solution. Yeah. To, yeah. It seems like just from our conversation, so much of the hurdle is talking about like scaffolding to try to get to an inch thick. But if you just yep. throw it, okay, we're not even going to try to make it taste or look or feel like deliver it. The we just want to deliver the nutrients. Um, that's a whole different endeavor than what we've been talking about at this point. But that's, to me, seems more productive. Because, um, of course, we'd love for everyone to eat everyone in the world that wants to eat beef to be able to, to eat beef. But like right now, it's probably not, well, it's just not realistic. Yeah. There's so many hurdles in the way. And this certainly isn't the Yeah. And so this, either. that's what I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is not. That's an interesting point. I don't, I don't know if that, I mean, to dad's point, that's, you know, back to that's anaerobic fermentation. It's a, we, it's a tried and true process mm-hmm. that is scalable. We do know that one can ramp up. Um, and, that might be that might be one of the solutions. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Interesting, at least it is. Yeah. No, I think there's more innovations going on that side. That then you could f- to, to especially using fermentation, but um, re- you know, technology to grow um, could be even fungus growing fungi mm. um, and growing some other fast. Gr- you know, I think algae is an area that. Or phytoplankton, or there's cyanobacteria. Area though, because you take you know a desired end product and you pump it into these microbes that Mm -hmm. proliferate so fast and can pump it out. You 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 know you genetically modify these organisms to then just Mm -hmm. hyper produce the end product of um, that's desired, and Mm. so that process it it makes sense. It's just tough to do that with these animal cells that take so much longer to do. And then we can feed it to a. Um, chickens, our ducks, our fish, yeah. and you know, help them grow and be more healthy. And I think this is to me is a very exciting area. The only trouble you run into, it's the same trouble we were talking about the dirty linen. Yeah. Okay, so we'll circle back mm-hmm. to it for the the cells because it applies to this one too. Is that as they move away from from the feed calf fetus serum, yeah. now they got to uh, develop this new nutrition medium media. To feed the cells, well, because they got to get these all these special compounds in there, you know, for growth factors and for uh, signaling pathways and all of this. You know, I'm not in molecular biology, but there's a thousand things they got to get in there to make cells grow healthy, you know, and um, and live instead of die. And they want them to. And so one of the ways they do it is through you 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 go back to Growing bacteria, and 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 using gene editing like CRISPR to tweak the bacteria to produce the growth compound or an enzyme or a, a special molecule that you want, and now you add it into your media mm-hmm. um, solution. And maybe you have to have like twenty or thirty of these gene edited, genetically engineered bacteria producing 
you know, different compounds. Well, now what you're doing is now you've got a, you've created another big bloody problem is that a lot of your customers, they don't want to eat genetically engineered <laughs> mm. food, yeah. you know. So now you're going to have to say, oh, yeah, well, kind of whoopsies. We, um, we didn't, it's the sort of thing that they ran into with that fake burger, um, mm-hmm. fake meat, impossible burger. Remember the heme product they were using? They had to use, I think that was from genetically engineered um, yeah, they, bacteria. Yeah, it's f- like to in the impossible heme. burger you're talking, yeah, right? To, to give make it, the, it red and yeah. give it some. It's a plant-based one. That So there's a problem. So that you see sure. what I mean? It's yeah. like. It's like that fact. I mean, it's like that problem. Everywhere you look, you got another problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's to me why I'm thinking of the end market being use cases where that is not the deciding factor. Yeah. You know, like if, it, it, to my example of using the powder, whatever, I have obviously mm-hmm. not rooted in reality, but to those places where, okay, they're not going to worry, they're not worried about the, CRISPR, they just need protein. Um, yeah. You know, that's to your earliest point that you made on the, well, one of the early ones. So like, how could this be complementary to yeah. animal agriculture mm-hmm. um, in, in going towards that common goal of feeding the world well and, and good nutrition for everyone? Um, then yeah. that's interesting to us, but I unfortunately it doesn't seem that's where this lab grown meat conversation that everyone's hearing uh, is going. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I mean, it would be very interesting if we had somebody from the other side on this, because it's such a complex subject. I'm sure there's lots that we're missing, but mm-hmm. um, we've talked about it now for whatever, an hour and a half, and it seems like so insurmountably challenging to do any of these things that they're claiming. So I would just, even out of you know curiosity, love to hear what are these counter arguments, because they've clearly convinced a lot of people and a lot of investors that it can be done. So there's got to be something they're saying that's not being discussed right now but a lot of the well i don't know about a lot i've seen some of the papers do suggest that consumers when they when they poll them or when they ask them about this um if they get their feedback on it and then ask them how much they actually know about the process and if once they know more about it, if it's likely to influence their buying decision it seems to be mm. quite favorably that they would it does influence it they just don't know so do you think um, the people behind these big startups do you think they really believe it some of them or do you think like hey i'm only here for i've got 50 years in the working world i'm gonna con people into giving me a bunch of money to build these vats in dubai or wherever you said and have some fun or i would i mean i don't think that's actually it but it's a you know it's a business that's what it would be for a lot of these people at the end of the day they want to you know make economic you know they want support to do this stuff it wouldn't be necessarily from a holistic world helping view i would guess even though they might frame it that way or even like yeah anyways it just seems so obviously doomed but if you would as we're talking about it if you take who the ideal person is that you think about like back to your point dad about now you've introduced okay you have to be comfortable eating this product but it's gmo and that might go against some of the intended audience that hasn't been previously thought about. And then we talked about the antibiotic, which also Mm -hmm. gets lumped into that. You have to be okay with that. And then you have to be okay with today, a certain amount of animal welfare concerns with the fetal bovine serum. And then you also have to be okay with the environmental claims not being as clear cut as you originally were intended (laughs) to believe. And so you've peeled back all these layers where there's dilemma after dilemma after dilemma. um, And it's, kind of the same point of your fractal no but it's a little bit different because this is just um you know once you peel back the curtain a little bit 
you're you're faced with choices at every yeah. level of it that were previously told to be you know really one sided. Um, it, it it I actually don't know who it's for. Yeah. Once you know who's comfortable, like unless you're just okay with you know because the people that would want it want an alternative to today's meat production system for some reason, and their reasoning typically would be met by another product, and this product is maybe supposed to be a, yeah. a solution for those sort of people. But then you look at every level, there's an issue. I don't. I just don't know who it's actually for. Then. Mm-hmm. No, I'm afraid. You know, I'm afraid the thing is headed towards being really niche, boutique. You know, it's for like, um, and uh, in that hype cycle, that famous hype cycle, that, you know, that that's well talked about. But I'm. I think they're headed for very soon. They've been at the peak of the the. The hype peak is like sort of here now. We're at the crescendo. I think they're headed to what they call the trough of despair, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where the reality just keeps slapping them upside the head. And that's why, you know, they they keep pushing back their start dates. Yeah. It's like there's just insurmountable problems. But while the money's there, and if you're a young scientist, as example, and you've got a, and you really want to work on something ambitious as hell and, like it must be so exciting to work on these intractable problems while at least while the money's there. Yeah. Yep. Well, but results super are not cool necessary. scientific question yeah, it's and like it's one, challenge. You couldn't get a better like as a researcher yeah. if you're interested in this thing. It's like this is the best gig in the planet. Yeah. You know, other than working for Elon and trying to get <laughs> up to well, he probably would like to he'd take along a little bioreactor. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's like two billion dollars invested in this last year yeah. for this field. Yeah. The, the money's there to, to yeah. learn more about it. So from a purely academic, scientific yeah, standpoint, when, it's completely fascinating. And there'll and be some good things come the, out of the science, you know, sure, to help with sure. other things. But I don't think, you know, I don't think that this thing is, you know, it's more, it's been, it's morphed from, like, as we said, over the last 15 years, it started as being this, and now it's becoming something else, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't think it's ever going to, I personally don't think it's ever going to be um, in a position to replace our standard staple foods, whether that's tilapia or salmon or you know sheep or goats or yeah. or cattle and pigs and chickens and ducks. You know, I mean, it's just not going to happen, um, as far as I can see. And that, but the the thing I worry about is okay. Now the way they're going, which I don't like, is you know wrapping it all up in environmentalism and climate change. So that to me is a, is like a warning bell. The next thing they're going to do is try and have taxpayers mm-hmm. pay for all this bullshit. That's mm-hmm. what I said earlier yeah. when, like, it points to being subsidized. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think like, that's what I see happening. And then I also think there'll be. You know these. You never know. You know because the money, the money talks loud, and we've seen that so much lately. But you never know the part of the end game for them if they once they learn they can't make the thing pay, and no one's going to pay for it. Then they want to. Then they want to have it sort of, <laughs> you know, written into law that you, you know, you got to eat certain percentage of this shit. Yeah, um, because it's going to save the planet, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, I don't know. If yeah, yeah. Go get way, into social credit type. Yeah, well, that's the whole ESG thing. Correct. That's where they're it's, going. They're just wrapping themselves in that ESG, you know, mm-hmm. which is a which is also who's 
funding a lot of Correct. this. I thought so. it was interesting, though, you mentioned it before the podcast, uh-huh. that this technology and the push is somewhat recent, but the the concept, I think, it was it Churchill? Yeah. Winston Churchill yeah. had, from like the yeah. 30s, he had a yep. quote he about... About we'll get you know, away from someday the, we'll get away from the animal as the the vector for growing our meat, and I don't find the I quote. Yeah, we'll butchering the, it, we'll have but the there'll be a suitable medium to grow cells in a lab to grow our meat. Ultimately, is kind of his point, right? Is yeah. that what his quote was? Yeah, I'm gonna find it. It's a great quote, but that's like the 30s, right? 1930. 19... Yeah, I got it here. With a greater knowledge of what are called hormones, i.e., the chemical messages in our blood, it will be possible to control. I've got it here. Shall escape the absurdity of growing a whole chicken in order to eat the breast or wing by growing these parts separately under suitable medium. Suitable medium. So he was very prescient. Yeah. 1931. 1931. So he was onto it. Yeah. I wonder if he saw any of these bottlenecks. (laughs) (laughs) Did you tell him? No, all the way down. No, no, no. The first person he told him to that. Yep. No, no, no. You're going to have some no, issues. No, you're going to have issues. Have you heard of fetal bovine serum? That's Sturgill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, very good. I think we, we covered it. We covered, well, uh, we covered yeah, the pyramids. We covered more. HeLa cells. Yeah. And we talked about cell-grown meat. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, well. Eat your beef. Yeah. Let's eat beef. That's right. Thank you, guys. Yep, Very thanks, good. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers.